The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we are going to do a history lesson today, um, history being one of my favorite subjects, and it's, we're going to discuss the history of um, Alcoholics Anonymous, and we're going to talk about some of the early founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Bill W. and Dr. Bob certainly are the two main founders, but there were a number of people that contributed to the... Um, to the development and the, the uh, I guess the, the the ability for AA to keep going. Um, in addition to Dr. Bob and Bill W. And our guest today is Michael Fitzpatrick, who is the author of Dr. Bob and Bill W. Speak: AA Co-Founders Tell Their Stories. Um, he owns what is probably the largest audio archive related to the 12-step movement ever assembled. He has more than 3,000 original reel-to-reel recordings of the voices of the men and women who pioneered the 12-step movement. Um, he, has, he will share with us today some of the most compelling components of his collection. And um, I'm very happy to welcome you, Michael. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Mary. Thank you for having me. And... Uh... And I welcome the opportunity to share about Dr. Bob and Bill and the new book. Um, I guess what made you decide to write another book? I, you know, there's there's been a lot written about both of these fine gentlemen. Well, you know, it's interesting that you asked that question initially. I had uh, I've just written several books, all for Hazelden, the last couple of years. The most recent one was called "Living the Twelve Traditions in Today's World." And I've been very fascinated with the roles that both Dr. Bob and Bill W. played in the development of Alcoholics Anonymous, as well as many of the the offshoot programs today that use the 12 steps that came and originated from AA. And there have been several books written about Bill W. in the last few years, but very, very little has ever been done on Dr. Bob. And I thought it would be really nice to to write a book about the co-founders. And as I began to think more about it and have some discussions with some of the people that I consult with, I really came up with the idea that it was best to let Dr. Bob and Bill tell their stories. So what we did here was I developed a book called Dr. Bob and Bill Speak, AA Co-Founders Tell Their Stories. And it's exactly that. It's about... Um, the opportunity that I have with this enormous audio library to share some of the components with people of the early pioneers 
particularly of Dr. Bob and Bill. So that was kind of the direction we wanted to go in the book, and and we kept. Uh, I kept to that. I stuck to that. I avoided as much as possible uh, giving any of my own opinions. I really tried to stick with with what the co-founders said and wanted to do it in a way where the reader could draw their own conclusions. And when I say conclusions, I'm speaking really history, and certainly AA history. If you were to take a a dollar bill and hold it up between yourself and your producer, Mary, you could describe that dollar bill from what you see, and he could describe it from what he sees, and you would both describe two entirely different versions of the exact same dollar bill. And that's pretty much AA history. It depends on on who experienced it. When we hear a story about the founding and what happened, sometimes the stories uh, seem to be quite different, just depending on the perspective of the individual who shared them. And throughout this book, I, I introduced some of that. For example... In the writing of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill W. talks about sitting at the kitchen table with his school friend uh, who had found sobriety in the Oxford group. And Ebby was that, was that man's name. Well, in my library I have a half a dozen or so recordings of Ebby where he recounts the story but tells it entirely different than Bill. And I thought that might be something readers would enjoy reading and learning about. Well, I think it's it's very interesting. Um, First of all, how did you come across all these recordings? Because they're really um, historical treasures. Well, there was a a couple, a longtime AA and Al-Anon member down in Texas. um, And they had started this library back in the 50s so that they could preserve the history of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon and share that with future generations. And they went out and they recorded conferences, contacted other people in different parts of the country and eventually throughout the world that also had similar interests. And they exchanged recordings and tapes and dedicated their life to that. So they had amassed this huge library of uh, approximately 3,500 reel-to-reel tapes, which is probably, you know, we haven't got an exact count on hours of recordings, but we're into the 30,000 hours of recordings in the library, which is just huge. So a few years ago, uh, uh, these folks got um, uh, passed on, and I, through the family, was able to to acquire the library and have made it a mission to begin to get it digitized so that we can make it available through uh, a website I have called Recovery Speakers um, where we make some of the talks available for free downloading and also to use them for projects like this as well as uh, there was a, a movie, a documentary that came out recently on Bill W. and much of the recordings of Bill's actual voice in that film came from the library here. That's interesting. I just saw that movie down in Fort Lauderdale at the Real to Real Film Festival that they had down there last month. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, talking about Abby, I think uh, let's start with that because um, I'm not sure how many people who are familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous 
understand that before Alcoholics Anonymous, there was another spiritual program that both um, Bill W. and Dr. Bob had been involved in. Could you share with our readers a little bit about the Oxford Movement and how these two gentlemen happened to become involved with it? Well, uh, let's, let me focus for a minute on Ebby, because I think okay. that's a great place to start. And Ebby um, was up in Manchester, Vermont, and while he was there, he was, he was drinking bad, he was in trouble with the law, um, things really seemed to be closing down on Ebby, and he, he actually um, <clears throat> was about to be sentenced to at least a year in a probationary center in a in a, in a prison, and through uh, two gentlemen appeared in court. Um, three gentlemen appeared in court and asked the judge to if they could have Ebby, if they could take Ebby with him. And the judge agreed to that. One of the three gentlemen was the judge's son, but all three of these people were members of the Oxford group. And the Oxford group was a non-denominational evangelical movement of the time that was founded by a minister named Frank Buchman. And the philosophy of the Oxford group, just to keep it brief, because I really don't want to spend a lot of time on the Oxford group, but the Oxford group's philosophy was that they were life changers, that their mission was to change their life and go out and help other people to change their life. And that's what they did by going out and and carrying their message. And they did it in halls and meetings. They had house parties. They had various ways that they would gather people from the community together, and they would tell them about what they found. And they had certain principles and tenets that they used. They had, we often hear, about the four absolutes. And the Oxford group believed in, in measuring <clears throat> their daily lives in, with these four absolutes, absolute honesty, absolute unselfishness, absolute purity, and absolute thought, or absolute love, I'm sorry. And as a result of that, this was part of their message, and, and they went out and did this. So that's how Ebby was approached. He then went from from there to New York with one of these guys in the Oxford group. And while he was there, he was attending the Oxford group main center in America, which was at Calvary Church, uh, headquartered in New York. And the leader in America at that time was a, was a minister named Sam Shoemaker. And incidentally, Sam Shoemaker became very close friends with Bill W. a couple of years later. But Ebby was attending those meetings, and part of the philosophy that Ebby had learned was that he needed to pay restitution to people he had harmed. He needed to make amends to those people, and he also needed to go out and try to carry this message, this, this message that he had been carried, that you can change your life. The Oxford group wasn't about alcoholics or drinking, although some of the alcoholics were finding recovery in the Oxford group. So while Abby was in New York, he was down on uh, Wall Street making amends, paying restitution to some of his old friends and probably doing some visiting when he came across someone who knew Bill W. 
I'm going to ask you and, to hold it right there, Michael. Yeah, we'll pick up to, there, Mary. And we'll be right back after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Leadership is a destination, but how do you get there? More importantly, how do you maximize your power and influence and develop more leaders in your organization? Learn from proven leaders and proven practices. Join Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler for Leadership Development News. This program will help you develop the next leaders in your organization, balance your work life, manage your boss, and manage yourself. We'll feature cutting-edge interviews with industry experts and authors. Leadership Development News, every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on The Voice America Business Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Michael Fitzpatrick, and we're discussing Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson and the early co-founders um, of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and some of the other people who were very instrumental in getting this movement developed and, and who continued to carry the message. And before we went to break, uh, Michael, you were talking to us about Abby and having been at Wall Street making amends. Yes, and while Abby was down there, he he uh, he bumped into someone who knew Bill W. And Abby had known Bill from his childhood, and this uh, person had told Abby that Bill was in pretty rough shape and needed some help. And Abby thought this was a great opportunity for him to carry this message to Bill that that there was hope that he could change his life. And Abby. Uh, in, in one of the recordings, goes into a lot of detail about that. And I've, I've, at the beginning of the book, the first chapter of the book, covers a lot of uh, Abby's version of what happened. He had actually gone over and had dinner with the Wilsons, and he shared what what was happening. And then uh, and on the way to the, uh, to the subway, Bill walked him to the subway and put his arm around him and said, I don't know what you have, kid, but I want it. And uh, that story is a little bit different than the story that Bill wrote in the in the big book, uh, Bill's version of it. However, I don't think any of the significant points changed. It's just a different version given by someone else. And, of course, Abby was sober at the time, and Bill was drunk. You know, um, in addition to, to Abby, I think that one of the, people who I know the least about um, but have been the most impressed with is Dr. Bob. Um, he lived 
15 years into his recovery before he passed away. And, um, and, and I just think he was an amazing man and somebody who I don't think often gets the recognition or the, the credit for what he did to sustain Alcoholics Anonymous, but also to support Bill. Absolutely, Mary. And, you know, as a historian who has spent a tremendous amount of time studying the information available and listening to the recordings and and reading this material, I've often had the the question for years, you know, what, what was Dr. Bob's contribution? Because it's so clear what Bill W.'s contribution was. Bill was a primary author of the big book, and Bill was the primary author of the 12 and 12 and other publications and wrote the 12 concepts, developed the general service structure of AA, put together the foundation. Bill really did a tremendous amount of things that are all documented and very clear to look at the path to see the contributions that Bill W. made. But when you look back and and see Dr. Baum, he spent a tremendous amount of time in the hospital working one-to-one with alcoholics, and it's hard to see his contribution the way that you can see Bill's. And that intrigued me, and I was talking with a historian uh, before I wrote the book named Tom W., and Tom passed away this this year, uh, but Tom knew Bill, and Tom had... Uh, close to 60 years of sobriety. And I was talking to Tom, and Tom said, you know, Dr. Bob really lived by the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. And those words meant so much to me when he said that, that I began to really try to examine what was Dr. Bob's contribution. And I'm grateful that I had an opportunity to do that as I was writing this book because I was able to include a lot of the information I could find out. And for example, Dr. Bob's son, Bob Jr. Smitty, he used to go around the country speaking at conferences. I had the pleasure of hearing him several times and, and meeting him. And one of the things Smitty used to say is that if it was up to his dad, AA would have never gotten out of Akron. And if it was up to Bill W., he would have franchised it. And, you know, people laugh at that and think it's funny. And Unfortunately, Smitty was inaccurate with his comment. Bill W. had the opportunity to franchise it that way back in 1938 when Charles Towns at Towns Hospital offered him the opportunity to have Alcoholics Anonymous or this new program in his hospital. And, of course, Dr. Bob was the one who really was the, the beginning of sponsorship within Alcoholics Anonymous. Him and some of the men that he sponsored were the ones that helped the AA to grow. AA grew from Akron to Cleveland, to Detroit, to Chicago, to Indianapolis, and it headed west. And all the little towns and communities throughout Ohio and Michigan, all of this work that was happening was as a result of Dr. Bob's initial efforts sponsoring the men that he was helping through the hospital. He had a partner at the hospital named Sister Ignatia. We often don't hear much about Sister Ignatia. Sister Ignatia became very close to Dr. Bob and just adored Dr. Bob. I have several recordings of her 
And I've included transcriptions and comments from her recordings in the book. And I think the readers are going to love to hear some of her take on what Dr. Bob was like and what it was like working with him and how he cared for the patients and how she did. And they're credited with having helped over 5,000 alcoholics free of charge. And it's just amazing to see the dedication that those two people had. And then the other side of that is Bill W. was in New York, and Bill was dealing with the folks in New York which were a little bit less conservative than those in Akron. And Dr. Bob had the opportunity, I think, to to temper Bill a bit. I often look, you know, I'm I'm a guy who likes visuals, and I can see Bill kind of floating uh, with an idea and and wanting to go with it, and Dr. Bob kind of grabbing Bill by the foot and pulling him down to earth a little, not to stop him from from following it, but just to counsel with him. And I think Bill really, even though Bill was Dr. Bob's sponsor, I think Bill relied an awful lot on the wisdom of Dr. Bob and Dr. Bob's character to help guide him as he was doing some really important things. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, when you think about how AA grew, it really was so much the result of what Dr. Bob was doing in Ohio because that's where the it kind of took, there's a stronghold there that it certainly grew in other places. But I think in terms of, providing a foundation, Dr. Bob certainly was instrumental in that. In in many ways, more so than Bill. Bill was doing the ideas, but he didn't seem to be doing the the in-the-trenches work to the extent that Dr. Bob was. Well, well, and you know, I think that divine order um, was exactly the way that it it needed to be to have the right outcome. For example, Dr. Bob and his wife, Ann, were able to keep their house, and uh, Bill and Lois lost their house. So the big book came out, and Bill and Lois went for two years without a home. Dr. Bob and Ann had a home, and what what was happening in their home is they were inviting some of these guys to come and live with them, and they would take care of them. And Ann Smith, Dr. Bob's wife, would take care of the alcoholics during the day and their families oftentimes. There was one guy. um, He was the very first guy that Dr. Bob and Bill tried to help. His name was Eddie R., and they moved Eddie into the house. Eddie was a uh, was a crazy drunk, and he would at night he would he would climb out the window on the second floor and go down to downspout. And he would go get drunk, and Doctor Bob and Bill would try to round him up and and bring him back and and try to get him sober. Well, Eddie, his whole family moved in, but Eddie one day uh, was chasing Ann Smith around the house with a butcher knife, and he had to be committed. So the first. The first guy that Bill and Dr. Bob tried to help together had to be committed. We often hear about AA number three, but there was one before, and that was Eddie. And at Dr. Bob's funeral some 15 years later, a guy came up to Bob Jr., to Smitty, and extended his hand and said, Do you know who I am? And Smitty said, Why, you're Eddie. And Eddie had been sober for a couple of years by that time. And through my research, I found that Eddie stayed sober the rest of his life and became very, very active in the field of alcoholism and worked for the Council on Alcoholism in Youngstown, Ohio. What effect did all this have on the Smith's children? Well, you know, by the time that that, that Bill W. met Dr. Bob, um, they were in their late teen years getting ready for college. 
Um, Smitty was 17. I think his sister was just uh, slightly younger than he was. She was adopted. Um, I think that the alcoholism had a lot of effect on on the family, as it does today with families of alcoholics. Alcoholism rips through the family and causes all kinds of destruction, and it takes many years to heal. And sometimes it never does. And certainly the Smith family was not immune to any of those issues. You know, there was very little money in their home. Uh, Dad was working. Uh, uh, Anne was was trying to help the alcoholics as they were getting sober. And uh, uh, Bob Jr. and, and Sue were, were doing what normal teenagers do, but I'm sure they were carrying some things with them as a result of their dad's alcoholism. Yeah, I can't imagine that they wouldn't, you know. But um, I think the other thing that for Dr. Bob is he had an identity as a physician, even though he, and, and he had uh, a career. And Bill always kind of struggled for that, that big job or that career. Um, he, you know, I think until, until he really got active and involved in AA, he kind of floundered in terms of his career and his calling. Well, certainly Bill had, uh, had started off um, gangbusters, doing very, very well and was making a lot of money. Um, on Wall Street, not as a broker, but as a speculator. Bill would actually go out and analyze companies and then report that information back, and he was being paid commissions for his work, and he was doing great. He and Lois were on top of the world. And Bill's drinking, of course, was progressing, and it was getting worse, and then they had the the big crash in 1929, and, and when that happened, you know, a lot of people lost millions of dollars, and, and Bill was leveled, and it really was a difficult, difficult thing for he and Lois to go through. His alcoholism got worse, and it was a constant battle from then on to try to, to get back up. And uh, and perhaps part of Bill's uh, thinking was he needed to be on top again, and I think that that probably frustrated him until he was sober and Alcoholics Anonymous was was coming together. He didn't he didn't have a place to hang his hat where he could really get excited and get behind this. But when he got with AA, it, it all worked for him. All of his talents came together in a very uh, magnificent way. We'll be right back after this next commercial to talk more with Michael about the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, Dr. Bob and Bill W. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. In your family, what is most important to you? Is it health? Relationships? How about getting along better with your kids or your parents? Maybe it has to do with losing pounds or gaining financially. 
Whatever the problems you face in your family, you'll want to tune in to Family First with your host, author, and speaker, Randy Rolfe. Since 1985, Randy has become the foremost expert on matters concerning the family, and she can help you. Family First airs live every Friday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Today we are talking with AA historian and archivist Michael Fitzpatrick, who may have what is possibly the largest audio archive related to the 12-step movement ever assembled. Um, and we were talking in this last segment about a lot about Dr. Bob. And I, you know, oftentimes um, there, there's kind of a, a schism, if you will, between people in recovery and people who aren't in recovery. Sometimes people who aren't in recovery I hear referred to as earth people or, you know, or there, there seems to be like we're, we're unique and different from each other. And I think it's important for our listeners and, and everyone to understand that there were many non-alcoholics who were instrumental in the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous without whom um, Dr. Bob and Bill wouldn't have been able to manage. And I'd like to talk a little bit about some of those people. Um, I think, uh, you know, you talked about Sister Ignatius. You know, there's Dr. Silkworth and, um, you know, Carl Jung and uh, Father Dowling, who is in, who you made a little bit of mention of. Um, could you speak to some of those people? And I think, you know, there was Henrietta who brought Bill Wilson to meet um, the Smith. And, and just what the role of some of the non-alcoholic people were? Absolutely. You know, I, I see a golden thread through the history and the development of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it certainly was not limited to the alcoholic participants. In the beginning, there were many people, and, and even today, non-alcoholics that are very influential and helpful with the AA movement. Um, Bill W., throughout his life, uh, said there were, AA has many founders, and he often would refer to non-alcoholics like Ann Smith as one of the founders. Um, some of the al- uh, non-alcoholics, there were uh, Dr. Harry Tebow. There was a minister in Ohio named Reverend Walter Tunks, who is actually the gentleman that put Henrietta Cyberling and Bill W. together by providing a phone number that eventually led Bill to Henrietta in that famous meeting between Bill and Dr. Bob that happened on May the 12th, 1935. You mentioned Father Ed Dowling. Father Ed became one of Bill W.'s strongest spiritual advisors throughout his life. In 1955, AA had their international convention in St. Louis with which is also where Father Ed was was working and living. And Father Ed was a guest speaker at the International. And there, you know, he made some great comments regarding um, Alcoholics Anonymous and his relationship to AA and to Bill. 
one of the things I remember from the talk is he said if he ever made it to heaven, it'd be because he was backing away from hell. And I just found that to be such a interesting way of of talking to a group of alcoholics because alcoholics in particular stay sober often by backing away from that first drink. And Father Ed had such a unique way of talking to alcoholics and he became very, very close to Bill W. But there were many people from the medical profession. You mentioned Dr. Silkworth and Charles B. Towns at Towns Hospital. There were just, the list goes on and on. Um, Sam Shoemaker, who was the leader of the Oxford groups in New York, um, who later separated from the Oxford groups, but became uh, continued to be friends with, with AA. As a matter of fact, one of my recordings at Bill W.'s 20th birthday anniversary, which was at the Commodore Hotel in New York, one of the guest speakers was Sam Shoemaker. So these relationships became lifelong relationships. And, of course, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, General Service Conference Board of Directors was made up of 21 individuals, uh, trustees, and uh, currently the ratio is 14 alcoholic and 7 non-alcoholic. So non-alcoholics continue to play a vital role in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, and I think that the... Bill W. and Dr. Bob respected that and encouraged that. It seemed like they were very open-minded. You know, uh, a lot of what I've come to understand about Anne is that, you know, without her, I guess, persistence and hanging in there with Dr. Bob, you know, I don't think AA would have been founded because she opened her home to Bill. She opened her home to all of these other people. She she fed them and she gave them coffee. And, I mean, it was really her her creation of this ambiance that you were welcome that, that was the springboard from which everything happened. If she had been a different person, I don't think AA would have happened. Well, you know, again, I think there's divine order and things happen the way they did and the outcome is what it is. And there's no question that Ann Smith played a vital role. As in New York, uh, Bill's wife, Lois, did as well. They had countless alcoholics move in with them when they lived on Clinton Street in New York while Bill was writing the big book. And, you know, they, they even had one person commit suicide in their home. And Lois went on because, of course, she, she and Ann would carry the message, the AA message, to the family. That's Lois and Ann did that. They did that together, and they did that in their area separate. Um, and then uh, Ann died in 1949, and Lois c- continued and became uh, the co-founder of Al-Anon Family Groups, which is for the family. So the dedication of both of those women to their husbands and to other alcoholics uh, should never be forgotten. And my book, We Recovered Too, the history of the family groups, the, the pioneers of the family groups, goes into much detail on the role of Ann Smith and Lois Wilson. And that book, um, you know, just to plug my books for a second, they are available uh at Amazon, at Hazelden, all online bookstores, 
And if someone wanted a signed copy, there's a website, AA Items. They could go to that and pick up a signed copy. You know, I guess uh, I, I go back to the quote that um, you had mentioned earlier about um, uh, the man who'd known Dr. Bob and what was Dr. Bob's role and that, that he lived AA. And he seemed such a solid man where, from what I've learned about Bill, Bill was always searching for something. You know, he he seemed to suffer from depression or, um, you know, he got involved in a number of experiments for, um, you know, the cure and treatment of alcoholism. And he continued to search and, you know, and did you, did you come across anything in the recordings about what what was driving him to, as much as it? Well, to analyze someone's character to that extent and say this was the drive I, I would be would be difficult. But I would say that uh, Bill W. had a deep, deep love for people in Alcoholics Anonymous, but really anyone who suffered. And if you look back through his life, he he tried so hard to help other people overcome depression, anxiety, worry, fear. I know uh, in the early 60s, he, in the late 50s, he was introduced to a couple, couple of Canadian doctors that were doing a lot of research on niacin, and the use of niacin is vitamin B3, and the use of this vitamin to work with schizophrenics. And they were discovering that alcoholics, and alcoholic schizophrenics were, they were getting some results treating them with massive doses of vitamin B3. They brought uh, Bill in to this project with them, and Bill began to use um, massive doses himself of vitamin B3. He actually did that throughout the rest of his life. But Dr. Hoffer, one of the, one of the two physicians, had said almost immediately after Bill had begun taking the niacin, there was this change in him, that he was better. And his depression did leave him uh, at that time, and he really didn't fight the depression through the rest of his life. Now, he was, he was uh, uh, exercising daily and, and doing some other things, but he was taking you know four to six grams of niacin a day. So Bill, in some of the recordings I have of Bill, he talks about people in recovery that had years of recovery and still were unhappy. And he seemed to be very concerned about that segment of Alcoholics Anonymous, that, that group of people that didn't seem to, to find reasonable contentment on a daily basis. And I believe Bill was on to something with wanting to, to treat the biochemistry of the alcoholic through the use of these vitamins. So Bill was a visionary, and he took a lot of chances, and he went out and dedicated himself to doing this. And, uh, and in the process, he actually wrote three, I'll call them booklets, but reports to doctors, communications to the doctors, physicians in AA about niacin, and all that he was learning about it so that they would have that information as well. I think one of the other interesting things about Bill during this period is he really seemed to think 
seemed to think a lot about recovery. He talked about emotional recovery. Um, I had heard one of his recordings, which actually it was a letter written that he had written to someone who someone had recorded about emotional recovery mm-hmm. and the importance of that as well. Um, well, and even the writing of the book, The Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions, when Bill was communicating with Father Ed Dowling about the writing of that book, he had said that he wanted to take the, instead of trying to change any of the steps or anything that had happened, what he wanted to do is he wanted to broaden and expand upon what he had written. He wanted to enlarge upon the steps, and he did that through the essays of the, of the, that are found in the book 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. And that just shows, again, you know, Bill's determination and sensitivity to those folks that were struggling within Alcoholics Anonymous. And, of course, he, he did go on and help to start a, a essay group, a Schizophrenics Anonymous group with Dr. Hoffer up in Saskatchewan. And he, he, Bill encouraged other organizations to use the 12 Steps and the philosophy of Alcoholics Anonymous to help people with whatever their difficulties or challenges were. And we'll be right back after this commercial break with uh, more on the history of AA with uh, Michael Fitzpatrick. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Get the latest information in health and wellness when you tune into On the Radio with Dr. Ray. Each week, you'll find out the latest and greatest from both traditional and holistic perspectives. Your host, Dr. Robert Ray, better known as Dr. 90210, is the best-known and most sought-after plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. Dr. Ray, with his co-host, Natalie Day, will help you get the dream body you've always wanted through diet and exercise, not surgery and medicine. On the Radio with Dr. Ray airs live Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is our last chapter with um, Michael Fitzpatrick, and we're talking about the history and founding of AA, and he's written a book called Dr. Bob and Bill W. Speak, 
AA's co-founders tell their stories. Um, and the book is actual transcripts of um, tapes that Michael has in his uh, library, which is possibly the largest audio archive um, on 12-step movement ever assembled. I, during the break, I was telling him that I had been to um, Stepping Stones in Connecticut, which is where Bill and Lois lived in the latter part of their lives, and it's now um, a National Historic Site. And if you go there, you can actually hear audio recordings of Bill talking or him playing the violin and, and Lois, and Michael said those are his recordings. So um, your stuff is used in a lot of different places. Well, certainly the goal of, of the folks that originally set up the library, Bill, Bill and Arbutus, was to make this material available. So I have attempted to do that at every opportunity that I can. Um, Stepping Stones, the home of Bill and Lois Wilson, uh, does phenomenal work there, allowing archivists and movie people um, authors access to archives and to be able to see and and get information we normally wouldn't be able to find anywhere because as you mentioned on break Lois uh, kept everything and she set up uh, stepping stones as a as an archive as a museum that could be shared because she knew the importance of the of the AA movement as well as Al-Anon so I'm grateful. Uh, two stepping stones to their director, Anna, and to the board for granting access. Um, I was able to give them that recording that you hear uh, when, you, when you tour of Bill W. playing the violin. I, I don't know what other Bill W. recordings they have because there's, there's others out there, but I've been very willing to share what I have with them as well as with AA General Service Office, um, AAWS in New York, and, and their archive. The, uh, I have uh, recoveryspeakers.org is a website. Right now I have somewhere around 600 uh, recordings up there that are available for the listeners to download free of charge. And we're just making those available randomly right now. Um, until we figure out exactly what that looks like. But one thing we want to do is allow people have, to have the opportunity to to be able to have recovery in their home, in their car on their way to work, or at the gym when they're, when they're riding the bike, whatever they need. If they can download a recording and listen to it for an hour, it may be what that person needs that day to stay sober. One of the urban myths around Bill W. certainly it's been well documented that he did have a co-occurring disorder with depression, but that he was also um, a bit of a womanizer. And I'm sure he didn't talk about much of that in any of his recordings. But as you've been doing the research for your books, have you found anything to substantiate that or to dispel it? Well, that you know, that's a, a great question, and you're right. There have been several publications out there in, in the years past that, that make that statement or that claim. I can tell you that I've looked at hundreds of magazine articles that were written from the late 40s to the 60s that include AA, and there were people out there doing 
uh, writing, there were investigative reporters looking. Many people would have loved to break the big story on Bill Wilson, and none of them ever did. There's not one article, not one piece of information, not one letter, not a single journal entry from Lois, nothing that indicates that there was any womanizing for Bill. Um, so where that rumor started, I don't know, but I certainly haven't seen the evidence to substantiate it. There was a close friend that worked with Bill who was a staff member of the grapevine uh, named Helen, and they worked together for years on the Niacin Project. And uh, my understanding is Helen even typed up those documents that I had made reference to for the AA physicians. Her and Bill worked extensively with the doctors from Saskatchewan. So that was a very out-in-the-open public relationship that he had with Helen. Um, uh, you know, Some people claim that it was an affair. Again, I, I'm not sure how you substantiate the fact that that there was an affair. It was the later years of, of Bill's life. His health was failing most of that time. But I'm not sure that that, you know, there's no question he had a relationship with Helen. There's no question they, that he loved Helen. Um, but I don't know if that was a romantic love. Um, certainly Helen was welcome in their home. She was around during the, the last days of his life. She was friends with Lois. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things there, you know, and, and I've heard folks say, well, he left her money in his will. And, yes, he did. But, you know, I suppose, you know, one argument there would be maybe he left her money in the will so that she could continue to do the work that they had been working on for 12 years prior to that. So those are the things I've been able to find out through a lot of research. And, you know, I know that that my opinions differ a little than, than some of the other, but I just haven't seen the documentation. Certainly I see no documentation to say that he was a womanizer. There is documentation to show a relationship with Helen, but what exactly that relationship was, I just don't know. Well, that certainly is the relationship with Helen is the one that I've heard the most about. And I guess only they know what that relationship was, and, and they're both long gone, so... Yeah, and I think so. And, you know, during that time that, that, that they were very close, which was the last you know, 12 or so years of, of Bill's life, Bill and Lois traveled all over the world together. Sometimes they were gone for a month or longer at a time. Um, so, you know, it, it just is, it's one of those things where I agree. There's just no way we're ever going to know. Um, and I'm not sure how important knowledge is when it's uh, that type of knowledge. Simply, we know that the bill was dedicated toward the niacin program and helping those who were still suffering. And everything that I could find seemed to be very public with with Helen. Meetings that they had, relationships with you know with other people where where they were out together. Um, it it didn't seem to be you know your typical affair of the 60s where where the the woman's hid away and no one knows who it is it seemed like a very open relationship and that they work together so i just don't know if there was anything more to it than that to change the subject a bit uh so with this book and with your website um you're really trying to kind of help 
the the history live on. And besides Amazon.com, is there another place where people can go to get your book? Well, absolutely. I recommend that everyone support and go to Hazelden, the publisher of the book, and that would be hazelden.org and visit their bookstore. Um, there's another website uh, called aaitems.com, and that website has a lot of historical memorabilia, including my books, and, and I have them up there, up there signed. So if someone would want a signed copy, they can get it there at aaitems.com. But uh, any major online bookstore would have the, the books. And the newest one is Dr. Bob and Bill Speak. That's what we've been talking about today when we didn't get off track. Um, but it's been a pleasure, you know, sharing that. And I think people are going to really enjoy the information in the book about Sister Ignatia and Dr. Bob and some of the er- other early pioneers. I think it's a wonderful book, and I think it's a great book for um, for people who are beginning to work in this profession so they get to understand um, how Alcoholics Anonymous was created and the people that were so important in the founding of it. And thank you, Michael, for keeping this all alive and for having that archive because that's, uh, that's precious stuff you have. Well, it is, and, I, and I'm... Uh... Um, honored to be able to have the opportunity to do with it what I am, and hopefully one day it will end up in the right person's hands so that it can be carried on from there. And I appreciate you having me on the show today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I, I loved listening and learning, and I certainly have learned a lot from this. So thank you very much, Michael. Well, and in closing, I I would like to just say that anything that I share is my opinion of how I interpret the information that's been presented to me and what I've been able to get, that I don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. No one does that. Um, I'm not uh, not here as any professional on Alcoholics Anonymous, simply someone who has become a historian and dedicated, you know, my life to to sharing this particular bit of history with others. So hopefully people can find recovery and what they need as they move through their journey here on this earth. Thank you so much. And for folks who are would like to hear, literally hear more, there's recoveryspeakers.org where you can download um, different tapes from, from Michael's website. Have a great week, everybody, and thank you again, Michael. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.